Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 24. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus and his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know who we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and the faith with love from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Tammy. Very good. Thank you for your enthusiasm for our music time this morning. When, uh, when I told Paul we're going to do five songs, he thought, are you going to have any time to preach? I think that was a wishful thought. <laughs> uh, but I just thought it'd be fun to do those tunes today, and uh, thank you for being such uh, willing participants with that. I think God is honored when we honor him through the, uh, through the singing of songs. The Bible says that the Lord is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So I feel like you've been doing that all the way through. Well, we're nearing the closing sections of this, or in the closing section of this magnificent little uh, book, one of my favorites in all of the Bible, this book, le- this letter to the Ephesians, which we understand to likely have been a, uh, a circular letter uh, that was passed around to various churches in that uh, Asia Minor er- area, one of which ended up in Ephesus, and that's why this one's called the letter to the Ephesians. So it's a letter not just to a specific church, but really to the whole church. And throughout this book, the Apostle Paul has been telling us the incredible story of the gospel, that through Jesus' death, God has rescued his beautiful but now broken world, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has brought a 
about renewal and new creation. New creation which will not be consummated until the final day when Jesus returns has been inaugurated on Easter and Pe- Easter Sunday morning and Pentecost Sunday when Jesus was raised from the dead and when his spirit was poured out on his followers and people began to live a new way. The world was changed not only by the message of the good news of Jesus, but also by the music that was experienced by this new family of people who began to live together, former enemies now embracing one another as brothers and sisters. And so Paul has shown us how we embrace a new life in Christ and that we and the barriers between us and God and the barriers between us and other human beings are now broken by our faith in Jesus Christ and we have new a new family and so in the last portion of this book chapters 4 through 6 we've seen that that new the apostle Paul has given us practical instruction as to what new creation looks like in uh, where the rubber meets the road in the lives of Jesus's followers We've seen that we were given a new family, a new community, the church, the ecclesia, that as such we are called to grow in maturity as representatives of Jesus in this world. We are his body, his hands, his feet, his eyes of compassion in this world. We've seen that we are called to live lives of purity in the midst of a world which has forgotten what all of that means. And we're, we've seen that we are called to live like new creation in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. And now in this closing section of the book, Paul reminds us that although the ultimate victory is assured, in the meantime, we are engaged in true spiritual battle. That though the enemy has been defeated, there are still many battles to be fought. That we are, so to speak, as I mentioned last week, living in the time in the time between D-Day when the war was effectively over and V-Day when the final armistice was signed. And in the midst of that time, there are many battles to be fought and casualties to be uh, dealt with, but we ultimate victory is assured. And so the apostle Paul wants us to be well equipped for the battle of living like new creation in a world where it is not valued as it should be. And so this morning, or excuse me, last week, we looked at the first part of this text, considering both the reality of spiritual conflict and the schemes of our enemy. And so today, as we look at the last portion of this text, we will learn that God has provided us with armor to protect us as we seek to live the new creation life that God has provided for us. We are not ill-equipped. We are, in fact, well-equipped to live like new creation in the midst of this world. What is this armor, and how is it that we are supposed to utilize, utilize it? We're going to take a look at that this morning as we work our way through the remaining portions of this text. He says, therefore, in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to, to stand firm, stand therefore, being fastened on the belt of truth, having fastened on the belt of truth, and then it goes through the various Roman armor, which we now have as followers of Jesus. The apostle Paul says in the verse just before this section, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So 
Put on the armor of God. And he said it in the 11th verse as well. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Four times in this few verses, he says we want to be able to stand firm. A few things I would like you to note at the very outset as we begin to explore this text. The first is this. The armor which we wear is corporate armor. It's not merely individual armor. The, the, the church of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament knows nothing about simple individual Christians living their own lives, trying their best to live for God all by themselves in the world. In every case, it's as though they are part of a family and all these instructions are given to the, the family of God. We need each other. We must not fight alone. Way too many of us are walking into battle all by ourselves. We don't have deep Christian relationships, people who can help us to, to see where there are chinks, perhaps, in our armor, people who can encourage when we get knocked down, people who can help us get back up when life is tough. We need to have people in our lives. The armor that we are meant to have is a corporate armor, not merely a personal armor that we have. These are all spoken to the plural group of people about who they as a family are called to wear that, about how they as a family are called to wear that, uh, wear that spiritual armor. It is a corporate armor. And if you notice that it is primarily a defensive armor. The weapons that are talked about here, the armor talked about here, are not offensive weapons, but rather defensive protection. And in fact, four times in the midst of this, it says we are called to stand, to stand, to stand. It's as if we are simply trying to live the way Jesus wants us to live, and all around us there are spiritual forces trying to knock us down, trying to knock us down. Our, our armor is, uh, we do not really go on the attack against it. We rather simply try to live the Jesus way and to do the right thing, but we are well equipped with armor. And so, therefore, the tactics we use are somewhat counterintuitive. One of, the, one of the dangers of this text and other texts like this is that we tend to look at these, uh, the battle and the war that we're in, and we think that we're supposed to mimic the weapons of this world in the war. That we're to take people down. We're supposed to, we're supposed to slash and, you know, slash and burn and just do all. That we're called to just go after everybody and fight out there. It's not so much that way. We are called to do battle the way Jesus did battle. The way Jesus, by being a, a, a person of peace in the midst of war, a person of love in the midst of hate, a person who gives his life for the sake of his loved ones, doesn't always take lives, but gives his life, lives life of self-sacrifice. And so as we do that, we find that we will be attacked. And that, so the Bible tells us that we have plenty of spiritual armor. Yes, these tactics are somewhat counterintuitive. In fact, I was, as some of you might know, I read out of the daily office every day for my, my uh, personal devotions. And, ha and uh, this morning as I got up, I was surprised and somewhat um, uh, encouraged to discover that my reading this morning, one of the several that I do, uh, uh, I do out of the Psalms, and out of the Old Testament, and out of the New Testament epistles, and then also out of uh, gospel of one of the Gospels every morning. Um, the reading was from David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 
And David had said, these, the, the Goliath is attacking the army of God. It can't happen. God needs to be protected. No one would stand up. The word got around. He shows up to Saul. And Saul puts on his armor. Twice the word. He puts on Saul's armor. And David says, this armor doesn't fit. It's not for me. So what does David do? He walks out there with no armor and only his five smooth stones and that slingshot that he had learned how to use so well. So often we think that when the Bible tells us to be prepared for spiritual battle, that we are called to go about it just like everyone else out there. That's why we Christians, as we participate uh, even in the political arena, need to be the conscience of our point of view. And to say, that's not the way we're going to do that. We need to be the conscience, all right? And we need to be the conscience of our, our, wor our workplace. Say, that's not the way I'm going to do my business. We need, to, we need to be willing to wear the different kind of armor. We, our, ta our tactics are counterintuitive, just like David and Goliath. And while Goliath was quickly ridiculing David, what was he doing? Reaching in, throwing the stone Hit him right between the eyes and in gruesome fashion, cut off his head <laughs> yeah. with Goliath's sword. With Goliath's sword, okay? Uh, so it's not that he wasn't attacking, but he didn't do it in the way people expected. We'll see, we'll, as we look at this text, we'll see that in, in, uh, in general, the enemy will attack us in the area of our thinking. You'll see this as we look through it. For it is generally in our, the areas of our mind that most battles are won or lost. By the time we act out in a negative way out there, we have already given in to something negative in our thinking about that. Stinking thinking is usually the root of lousy living. Make a note of it. If you're living lousy, your thinking's crooked. It's stinking thinking that gets us into lousy living. Generally, it is in the area of how we, and this is why, even though you don't like the word theology, is so important because theology teaches us the truth about God and us. That's why as we sang in Psalm 118, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. If you look through the Psalms, you'll see that phrase all over. And often it's in the midst of terrible conflict and discouragement and frustration that things are not going like they should. But the, the psalmist will say, well, but your steadfast love. You see, he had proper thinking that gave, it, gave him to respond properly to the situation out there. The enemy will sometimes come into our lives and cause us to doubt the gospel, to doubt the teachings of scripture, to doubt that we belong to God. Our armor is designed to help us respond to these attacks. So, for example, the first piece of armor that we have here is, um, the first piece of armor that we have here is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. This was actually an undergarment in many ways that you, that you and would hold the whole armor together. It was an undergarment that we would wear. The belt of truth. And so he wants us to know that we have truth on our side. Jesus is raised from the dead. We are alive by faith in him. Jesus will return to establish the new heaven and the new earth. No matter what kind of truth or truthiness we see out there, we know the truth about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. The gospel is not good advice about gospel. is good news, and it's good news about something that happened a long time ago, that God came to live in this world and die in this world and be raised again in this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And that truth 
truth. We wrap around. That's a truth that we can hang on to. It's good news, and it's true news. When we doubt our convictions, when we question our resolve, when everyone else thinks we're crazy for the decisions that we make in our families or in our culture, we wrap the belt of truth around us more tightly. We know that Jesus has said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It was Pilate and the people of this world and the kingdoms of this world that said, what is truth? What is truth? Yes, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why we need to wrap the belt of truth around us tightly, because so many want to tear it off. Truth is only in the eyes of the beholder, many will say. We would say, truth comes directly from Jesus Christ. That's why we need to worship. That's why we need the teachings of Scripture. That's why we need the Lord's table. That's why we need the gospel deeply implanted into our hearts. For it gives to us a manner of life contrary to what we see around us. Forgiveness instead of retaliation. Contentment instead of consumerism. Selfless living instead of selfish living. Only the truth of the gospel can help us withstand the pressure around us. We need the belt of truth. Wear it well. The second piece of armor. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. What is this? It is the conviction that we are made right with God, not through our good behavior, but because of Jesus' completed work on our behalf. It's not that we are living righteously, but that Jesus has lived righteously and given to us his righteousness. We wear it around our chest, covering our hearts, that we have a righteousness not based upon our efforts and our good deeds, our performance, but a righteousness based upon what Jesus himself has done for us and which he has granted to us. Ours is not an achieved righteousness by good works, dependent on how well we behave. It is instead a received righteousness, dependent upon faith and how well Jesus has behaved as he has imputed and given that righteousness for us. We want that harmony deep around our hearts because our hearts are prone to doubt and self, uh, self-doubt. self We need to know it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness which protects me. That is the gospel. The enemy comes to us with our failures and our faults and points out how often we fail. He says, see how you sin. See how you doubt. See what little good faith your, little good your faith does for you. But we counter his attack, and we say, yes, I am weak, but he is strong. Yes, I am filled with sin, but Jesus has given to me his righteousness. It is not my goodness upon which I rely, but his. I belong to him because of his righteousness, not my own. The breast of plate of righteousness protects my heart. The righteousness is not mine, but his, given to me. By his grace, as I receive by faith, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Our third piece of armor, the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Peace is an important theme in the book of Ephesians. We have learned that the result of Jesus' coming is that we have made at peace with God and that we are at peace with one another. This, Paul tells us, is part of the gospel, part of the good news. Peace is always a precarious commodity in our world. 
whether it is the internal peace that we need to feel with God or the external peace that we hope to have in our families, in our neighborhoods, and even in our world. Seek after peace, the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, the enemy is always trying to bring about division and divisiveness, but the gospel tries to bring people who were enemies back together. The enemy always, as it were, wants to cut out our feet from underneath us. For remember, our strength against the enemy is not alone, but together. We need the gospel of peace. We need to have that. Um, If he can separate us from one another, get us arguing about non-essential parts of our Christian faith, cause division, he will find us easy targets for his attack. And so that's why he'll try to separate individual Christians out of their church family. They're all alone. They're easy pickings out there. No one's around there to help them. That's why he always tries to get churches to fight with one another, not realizing that the church across the street is our brother and our sister over there. That's who they are. We're all part of the same family. The enemy wants to break us up like, a, like, a, 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 like, it, like the wild overcome their prey. A group together cannot be eaten, but if they can confuse them and separate them, they're easy picking. That's always when Donna turns off the nature television show. Once they get them out there and they're going, she knows how it's going to turn out and just happens to look for something else on the television. Because when you're all alone and you're being chased by a pack of wolves, it's not going to turn out well for you. It's true in the wild and it's true in our lives. We need, we need the gospel of peace. United we stand. Together we fall. Our fourth piece of armor is the shield of faith. The shield is an incredibly important weapon for the soldier. He needs it. He's not really a weapon. It's a piece of armor. He needs it to extinguish the flaming arrows. Often, often arrows were dipped in some kind of oil or something and sent flaming so they would cause fires where they occur. And often the shield itself was made to be wet so it could extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. What is our shield? Our shield is faith. What is the faith exactly? It is our faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is the faith that saves us. By grace you are saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, Ephesians chapter 2. This is the faith that shields us, as in this text. We need faith for salvation, but we also need faith For our shield, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, another text tells us. Our feelings will come and go. Our confidence will wax and wane. But if we trust in the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus Christ, we will find strength in the midst of a difficult time. Our trust in Jesus will always protect us. And remember two things about this shield. The shield was not meant to be for the lonely soldier all by himself, but rather for the group of soldiers together. In fact, you've all seen the movies where the arrows were coming. What do they do? They come in a close formation. They put those shields up above. It covers them all over them. You see, they're vulnerable alone. But together, they can extinguish the shield of faith. And remember this, that this important thing about your faith is not the strength of your faith, but rather the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus. Weak faith in a trustworthy object is far better than strong faith in an unworthy object. 
And if Jesus has been raised from the dead as he has, cling to that faith for dear life. It will shield you. That would be the New Testament version of the song, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. I cling to that because sometimes arrows are coming at me. The Lord has loved me and laid down his life for me and given his life and raised from the dead. I hang on to that faith. A lot of people in our world today just think any old faith is good. It doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. I challenge you to use that point of view the next time you try to walk on water. I don't care how far much you believe you can do it. Well, try it. You can be as sincere as you want, like Linus in his pumpkin patch, but you're putting your, all your faith in a non-trustworthy object. That's the lie of our culture. You know, the enemy comes to us with the lies. That's why we need to counteract stinking thinking with the truth of the gospel. I know how I feel. I feel afraid. But I believe that Jesus is worth trusting. So I'll step into that boat and trust it to move me across. And even while I'm perhaps afraid and unsure... I know that I can count on that boat to protect me because Jesus is with me. And it reminds me, of course, of that famous story in the Bible where these seasoned fishermen were out there in a boat and a furious squall came over Galilee and they were afraid. And what is their master doing? He's snoozing. He's snoozing. And he, they wake him up. Master, carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep? For some reason, I remember that's how it went in the old-fashioned uh, old fashioned Bible. Um, and uh, he stands up for them, and he rebukes the winds of the waves. And what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. Faith is not a feeling we muster to get lots of courage. Faith is the clinging to the someone who already has courage for us. Faith, that's our shield of our fifth weapon is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You see how it feels to me as I look through these texts that all these uh, uh, pieces of armor, I keep saying weapon, they're more pieces of armor, all these armor are, are, are saying essentially the same thing. In every case, the Apostle Paul is saying, we have the belt of truth. We have the, righteous, the breastplate of righteousness. We have the gospel of peace, the, the shield of faith. And we add our helmet, the helmet of salvation. What is the common theme? The common theme is we are the confidence that comes from the fact that we belong to God. We trust in his truth. We rely on his righteousness. We stand on his gospel. We are shielded by faith in him and protected by his salvation. It's all about Jesus. He keeps us safe when we are under attack. And it is not so much a matter of skillfully lose, using your weapons as it is humbly relying on Jesus and his truth. When we do this, we stand and we stand firm. When we do this, we stand. We have the helmet of salvation. It protects us because we are not saved by our works, but by his grace through faith in him, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This next 
piece of armor we wear is one, the only one so far, which we can use offensively. And that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what is the Word of God? Well, we can probably say it's the entire canon of Scripture, which like Jesus in the wilderness, we can quote against the enemy's attacks. Or as in Hebrews 4.12 says, for the, for the Word of God, hopefully this is how I'm, I, I, I trust my memory too much sometimes. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder of soul and spirits and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is a tremendous... I don't know why I'm hoarse. I've I, I just been relaxing all morning. Uh, <laughs> um... The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why it's so important to be saturated with Scripture. Jesus needed Scripture to successfully respond to the attacks of the Satan in the wilderness. We need the Scripture too. Yes, the Gospel, the Word of God, the Word of the Gospel of God is our weapon. We need to trust the truth of the gospel. Rely on the righteousness given to us in the gospel. Stand on his gospel, shielded by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Protected by our confidence in his salvation. Wielding the sword of the spirit, the word of God, which proclaims who we are because of faith in Christ. These wonderful pieces of armor are ours and they're gifts to us. They don't belong to us. They're gifts to us. His righteousness, his peace, his helmet of salvation, his truth, his sword. We have it all. We're strong, not because we are strong, but because he is strong for us. And then he goes on in the last few verses of this section to talk about what are not, not commonly thought of as part of the armor, but I don't know how you can separate it from it because he mentions four, time, four times one more resource, which is ours. And what is that resource? Gold star for you, Ray. It's prayer. It's prayer. Four times as this sentence continues, taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, comma, Verse 18, praying in the, at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, another word for prayer, to that end keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also word for me that words may be given to me to open my mouth, boldly proclaim the word of God for which I am an ambassador in chains so that I may declare it boldly as I ought. The Apostle Paul says that we should be people of prayer. We are empowered by prayer. Now, if you're like me, you might find yourself a little bit disappointed. Only prayer, that doesn't seem like much. We only then now show our ignorance because it is through prayer that we are to connect directly to God and Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. Isn't there something else we can do? That is so much that we can do. We, be, we, we began by reminding us that there are unseen spiritual realities which attack us in this world, in our relationships and in our culture. They have a huge impact on the world. But how can we counteract them? Except by the unseen reality of prayer. 
rightly understood that prayer may well be our most vital and vibrant weapon. It is through prayer that we can disarm spiritual wickedness. It is through prayer that we can engage God's assistance. It is through prayer that we can pave the way and clear the obstacles which stand in the way of people responding to the gospel. When we pray, we do direct battle with invisible forces which enslave our world. In fact, the very difficulty many of us have in prayer may be an indication of the fact that's the one weapon your enemy does not want you to use. He wants you to get too busy to take time to pray. We need to pray. And he says about them, pray with alertness. Did you see that? Pray it all. To that end, keep alert. Pay attention when you pray. I think of Jesus in the garden when he said to the disciples, when he went off to pray, watch and pray that you do not enter temptation. Pray, pray alert. In fact, you can pray like this, Lord, open my eyes to what's going on beneath the surface of my life. Open my eyes. Be alert. And also, there's a word repeated four times there. Basically, all is the word always. Notice what it says. Um, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Prayers be all-inclusive at all times, in all forms, with all perseverance for all the saints, including that preacher in prison, the Apostle Paul. Pray also for me. And he says, pray that I will be given words. Now, I don't have any problem with words, so, but neither did the Apostle Paul. But what he was praying for was for words that would be clearly spoken. So he said, pray that I will have clarity and also pray that I will have courage. And if you want to pray for your preacher, those are two good things to pray. Pray that God would give him clarity about what the Scriptures are teaching and what he, the Lord wants for us to hear, you might be surprised at how much time is spent in the study thinking, what is it that your people want to hear, to need to hear today? Pray for clarity, and then for courage to speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the apostle Paul has given to us wonderful gifts as he's reminded us of the whole armor of God, which centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes people's hearts when they respond in faith to that story of Jesus, but it also changes the believer's heart when we realize we're totally accepted, totally forgiven. We have an identity which is not tied to the number of dollars in our bank book or the number of degrees behind our name or the square footage of our house or the number of grandchildren we can go to see. All those things have their place, but my identity is tied to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I will not be tempted then to wander away from the fold and to be subject to the attacks of the enemy if I remember the gospel. So I want to encourage you to be a student of the Word of God and to be a practicer of prayer for God, prayer with God. These will equip you for the gospel and to stand firm 
we have seen great blessing here at our church family. And uh, so much, I don't know, I, it's more than I can even take in sometimes. And uh, God has given us a chance to be in this community. And we want to stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's do that together. Let us wear all this spiritual armor. Let us wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and let us pray always, in all times, in all forms, with all perseverance for all the saints. And if we've not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, why are we waiting? Now is the time. Let's have prayer while we close. Lord Jesus, we are so very thankful that we do not stand alone, but that you stand with us. You gave your life for us. You rose again from the dead. We are grateful. We are grateful. We ask that you'd help us to be, to know how well equipped we are for the battle. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the way it saves and enriches our lives. There may be some among us here today who are feeling very much under attack. Perhaps they've not yet responded to the gospel. May this be the moment when they, by faith, place their trust in Jesus. Others of us have been feeling pretty battle-weary and worn. Some of us need to be more tightly connected to the community of faith. Help us make that decision. Help us become people of prayer, people who build our lives on the Word of God, so the gospel of the truth can protect us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.